Welcome to the free agency edition of Unexpected Points. Before I get to who are the winners and losers of free agency and some big high-level lessons about free agency, I'm going to talk quarterbacks. I'm going to postulate on what could happen with Deshaun Watson, which may pop before this episode even comes out, and what the Browns are going to do with Baker Mayfield. All that and more in this episode of Unexpected Points. Alrighty, alrighty, alrighty. We are recording at the timestamp this thing here for free agency because the stuff may go down as we're talking, but it is 2.32 Eastern Standard Time, uh, the only legitimate time zone on Thursday, March 17th as I record this. So like I mentioned in the intro, we're going to go through some of the Watson stuff. It seems like it's been narrowed down now to two suitors, the Atlanta Falcons and the New Orleans Saints, and ping-ponging back and forth based upon whispers and Twitter emojis, which team is believed to have the inside track and will eventually sign them, which is probably going to be announced before a lot of you guys listen to this. So I'll try to touch on both subjects. But before I do that, I will refer you back, uh, listeners and viewers here on YouTube who may not have heard my last episode or seen my last episode that came out on Monday where I go into the reaction to the declining charges, the no bill, as they say in the grand jury and not charging Deshaun Watson. Why I believe the legal system doesn't do a great job of encompassing the volume of accusers, which is to me the number one piece or pieces of evidence, uh, the aggregation of all those as evidence into the fact that he's he's guilty of you know at least one of these acts, probably many of these acts. And my general queasiness with the cold calculating manner of the crime and how this is transitioned immediately into Deshaun Watson sitting at home in Houston, having teams and billionaire owners and GMs come in and, you know, kiss the ring Godfather style to make a pitch for his services. Some people try to frame it as if the teams are coming in and doing some sort of due diligence. I mean, give me a break. Like, what are they going to do for due diligence? They're going to come in and say, hey, did you do these things? You know, like look them in the eye sort sort of thing. I highly doubt that teams are have resigned themselves to the fact of his actual guilt beyond the legal system and beyond how long this may drag out in the civil courts and beyond whatever the punishment may be from the NFL, which is probably going to be anywhere from four to eight games. They've resigned themselves to not worrying about or not having it be a deciding factor, the actual, what actually transpired in in a lot of these things. So anyway, go back, listen to that Monday episode to to get a little bit more on, on my whole thinking about it. Um, But let's go in, you know, we're gonna have to talk about it. He's part of the NFL landscape going to be for the next 
you know, dozen years probably. He's on a Hall of Fame type of trajectory for, with, for his career. So there are many teams in a cold calculating manner themselves who have said, and owners who have said, because owners are very, very involved in these types of decisions. We're talking about a franchise quarterback, someone who's going to be associated with your team and with the value, honestly, the, the franchise value of your team for a long time to come. They've said, we can eat, you know, the bad publicity. We can take the 48-game suspension. And the fact that we will have Deshaun Watson as our quarterback, the most valuable commodity in football, a Hall of Fame type of player and quarterback for the next dozen years is worth it. From a pure, you know, profit maximization, franchise value maximization standpoint, I wish I could say that that's not the correct take that there will be more pushback from fans and others on that. But, you know, they're probably right. Uh, if any indication is what I'm seeing is the the amount of fans who seem to be living and dying by whether or not their franchise will uh, acquire him and living meaning wanting him to come and dying meaning not wanting him to choose someone else. But before I get into that stuff, let me just uh, let you guys know real fast. This is the promo code for the pod, the pod code, you could call it unexpected pff.com 25% off any subscription at pff.com all of our locked article content the nfl draft guide that's going to obviously a big thing coming up there uh free agency rankings and different grading that we've had going on there i have my improvement index which i'll talk about a little bit in the back half of the show when talking about the high macro points to go over in free agency which gauges on a wins basis how teams are improving or not versus their preseason expectations or pre-offseason I should say expectations all that's available plus you know your boy here is writing a lot of content okay I got a couple of draft profiles out the last couple days on Traylon Burks Uh, Jalen Tolbert's going to be out tomorrow who's an interesting guy if he wasn't you know 23 and a half years old I'd be really interested in him I have an, an article out about pressure performance maybe being the key to quarterback evaluation and looking at outperformance with pressure versus clean pocket and what it can say and maybe what it says in the reverse. If someone is driving a lot of their performance in college as a top prospect only from clean pockets and not doing as well from pressure, whether that translates poorly to the next level. I found some some pretty interesting correlations there. Uh, so that sort of stuff is coming out and more and more research will come out from me and others at PFF that you should check out. Okay, let's get into the quarterback stuff here. And there's not a ton to say for me. It's kind of the the pivot point here is Watson goes to the Saints. Not a lot for me to say there. What that does is opens up Jameis Winston, who I think is an attractive potential addition for teams out there as a relatively young guy who's played pretty well who I thought looked good last year for the Saints. Obviously, was very um, turnover-prone before. Probably will continue, but if you can live with those ups and downs, I think he's an interesting guy. And once they bring him in for the Saints, they are probably going to immediately restructure his contract, maybe bring back Armstead, free up some more money there. They haven't lost too many guys there. I mean, they lost Marcus Williams, who's who's a stud, and the Ravens, who are pretty... um, who are pretty penny pinching sometimes when it comes to free agency, you know, drop the bag off at his house uh, for, I think it was a $70 million contract for him. So that, that was a big deal and brought him in. So the, the Saints have had some ramifications. And I think immediately what's interesting about this, this, the Saints 
potential for Watson is if he's not suspended for the entire year, even if it's half the year, I think in the NFC South, which has gotten better since Brady's come back, but which is fairly weak in the NFC generally, I mean, we're talking about a situation where in 2022 season, the back half of the 2022 season, we could have Deshaun Watson starting for a team, the team being the Saints, in the playoff hunt, deep in the playoff hunt, because they have a good core team right now. Michael Thomas coming back, uh, an offensive line that, that that looks pretty good, Alvin Kamara in the backfield, a defense which played well last year. They're going to have problems, you know, maybe a year or two down, down the line. Um problems as far as being able to build upon what they have here but they have a a solid foundation i mean the browns probably have the best foundation but the browns are out of of the picture for what's going on here reportedly okay so that that's really all i have to say about the saints so i don't have a lot more to dig into about the ins and outs of what will happen there i'm a little bit more interested in what's going to go on with the falcons because even as a i'm not going to call myself a capologist maybe i'm more like stayed at the holiday in express version of a capologist but I, I pay attention to these things. I read everything that Jason Fitzgerald at Over the Cap puts out. I listen a lot to Brad Spielberger here at PFF, everything that he has to say about this, although I think it's a little bit wrong about the potential trade compensation for Matt Ryan. And again, I'll, I'll get to that. Um, I don't understand. what. Like I understand that the Falcons have cap space. I understand they can make some more cap space. But when we're talking about Matt Ryan here, when I look up the numbers for him, his is a 50-something million dollar dead cap hit. Now, I know they restructured, so maybe that's gone down a bit there. Uh, so it, it's it's quite, quite a big hit for him. So the question really becomes, what can you get for Matt Ryan? Because Matt Ryan would, would have to move in this circumstance. I'll tell you what my preferred thing is, and then I'll go over maybe the, the outside stuff. I'll go the outside stuff first. So on the outside... I'm just not very sure the market is deep, wide, or excited about bringing in a soon-to-be 37-year-old Matt Ryan who, and I just looked up his performance numbers here for the past several seasons. So I know, you know, things aren't great in Atlanta, but if you look at his grading, starting from his MVP season in 2016, It went 2nd, 3rd, 8th, 16th, 11th, and then 15th last year. So the last three seasons, solidly middle of the NFL type of grading, which, you know, should help account for some of the deficiencies that he has, just how well he's actually throwing the ball, how well he's making decisions, things like that. Now, if you go to EPA per play, expected points added per play, the preferred analytics metric for advanced stat for quarterback value again starting back at 2016 starting back at the the high point of his MVP season he was number one that year it was the MVP then he was seventh and fourth so maintaining that top five ish sort of thing just like he kind of was on the on the grading side and then in the last three seasons 14th 15th and 21st now the 21st really shows you the downside of the surrounding talent that he had with everyone clearing out Julio gone, you know, Ridley gone an offensive line that was playing like poop the entire time, Uh, a rookie tight end who hadn't quite developed yet. So it it is worse than his grading, which was 15th, but still, if we're talking about 15th best quarterback in the NFL or somewhere between 12 and 15, let's say in the NFL at 
soon to be 37 years old, who probably does not have a Hall of Fame type of career. I mean, maybe it's on the cusp of that, has an MVP, has a Super Bowl appearance, but hasn't been a super strong performer when he when not throwing to Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley and, you know, Tony Gonzalez before that. Um, he, he's had weapons throughout his career, you know, Julio Jones being one of the best quarterbacks of all time. So he's always kind of had that. Like, I just don't see the big difference between him and I think Philip Rivers would be the closest analog that I could think of for Matt Ryan. And Philip Rivers, before the 2020 season, before he was uh, not re-upped, they let his contract expire uh, for, I guess, I don't know if it was San Diego or L.A. at that time. I guess it was before the first season in L.A. for the Chargers. And he was 18th in grading and 13th in EPA that the season before that. So not good. But then right immediately before that, in seasons where Matt Ryan would have been playing average-ish, he was 6th in grading in 2018, so two seasons before coming to the Colts, and 8th the season before that. And he was 3rd in EPA per play the two seasons before that. So he had one down season in 2019 before coming to the Colts. And he had some, some down seasons before back in, you know, 13, 15, 16, wasn't so hot, but his resume of performance over his career, in my opinion, has been higher. He was better. He had, he had more recent good performance coming into the Colts. And when he came into the Colts, it was a one year, $25 million contract, and they didn't have to give up anything. So what are, what are teams going to give up for Matt Ryan on two years, 50 million, you can get out of it after one year. So a kind of an equivalent sort of, sort of contract. I mean, I think we're talking about a day three pick. I don't think we're talking about anything more than that. And I know you could say you're more likely to win over the next year or two with Matt Ryan than you would be with other quarterbacks who may hit the market, like a Jimmy Garoppolo, like a Baker Mayfield. But I don't think they'll necessarily pay more for him just because there is a large age bias when it comes to the trade market. And it's almost binary where if you're a super, superstar player like an Aaron Rodgers, the age bias doesn't exist at all. And then if you aren't, there's just a huge discount to what to what you're going to be valued for. And Matt Ryan falls more into that, that second category for me. Now, my preferred thing to happen here is that the Texans do what a lot of teams should be doing when they are not competing at all. The Texans are not competing at all this year. And what that is, is they say, you know what, as part of this deal, if it ends up happening with the Falcons, we'll take Matt Ryan. We'll take him. And number one, we might get some extra trade compensation from the Falcons. Once the Falcons realize all the rigmarole they're going to have to go through with this contract to get them out the door to another team, to get under the cap, to the fact that I think his roster bonus is due very soon. So it would facilitate moving quickly there. You say, let's take all that stress off of your hands, you know, kick us an extra day two pick or something, you know, future day two pick if you want. We'll take that stress off your hands. We'll bring Matt Ryan in. We'll restructure his deal in a way that makes it much more palatable for someone to acquire him. So not a $25 million contract, let's say maybe a $15 million contract, maybe even less. If you can get more trade compensation from it, eat that 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 money that you're not going to need anyway for this year, and then you flip him out again and maybe get another day two pick out of it. If you can make it attractive enough, if you can make it really, really attractive, his contract to someone else. 
I mean, I don't think you're going to get more than a third round pick, but still using some of your cap space that you're probably not going to need for at least a couple of seasons and thereby taking in Ryan, getting an extra pick from the Falcons, and then now getting an extra pick, flipping him out into the open market. To me, sounds like that next level of thinking that needs to come to the NFL, which is how to leverage and in a way, I was going to say monetize your cap space, which seems pretty weird because it's money already. So how do you monetize money? But it's more like convert cap space into draft capital directly into draft capital rather than converting cap space into re-signing players, which they don't have any that they have to worry about there or picking up free agents who are largely going to be overpriced and a waste of money anyway. So that's what, that's what I'd be doing. Um, Or if I was another team out there who had some cap space to burn, you know, take Ryan off of the Falcons hands again, uh, convert him down and then send him right back out as part of that converting cap space into draft capital calculation. Something that's a little bit lacking. It's, it probably you see it a little bit more in the NBA and some others. Uh, you saw it somewhat with the Brock Osweiler trade from the Texans to the Browns a number of years ago. There's a mixed reaction to that, but I thought getting an early second round pick is what it ended up being was probably worth it. And, you know, they took a look at Osweiler. They could have actually used him even for that year. Osweiler was not a situation where they were restructuring and sending him back out for another pick. They just ended up eating it and then going with Deshaun Kaiser, which hell, I mean, if they kept Osweiler, maybe they wouldn't have gone uh, 0-16 that year. So that, that, that needs to be approached. That needs to be thought about a little bit there. Let's now flip to the Cleveland Browns ramifications here because as you know again i'll point to my man over my shoulder here he did not die for deshaun watson luckily uh sashi brown r.i.p sashi in, in in the background here um there's a little thing there's a little twitter spat that i had with a friend of the show josh hermsmeyer i don't want to get too much into like twitter sort of spats but it's interesting because he is very very down on he's kind of down on the browns generally i would say but he was down on they're approaching this and and placing a lot of blame on the front office. I mean, number one, as I mentioned on Monday show, I put blame on the front office for this. Don't get me wrong. Um, At the same time, you, you know, you you recognize, you put proper context into the fact that franchise quarterback decisions are ownership decisions. Ultimately front offices can influence front offices can push in one direction or not front offices can maybe stomp their feet uh, and be upset if they're not getting what they want out of it. But ultimately if the ownership decides they want to pursue someone or not pursue someone, that is what is going to happen. You don't need to be a genius to present to ownership. Hey, Deshaun Watson, let me convince you that he's really is a good quarterback. And let me convince you that there's not going to be that much of a PR downside to that because that's what the ownership cares about. No, the owner owner can figure that stuff out on their own. They don't need someone to pitch them on Deshaun Watson's uh, football talents. So, you know, with that context, we don't really know what Cleveland wanted or didn't want from the front office or from coaching here. But they sounds like they're not so hot on Baker Mayfield. And, of course, the, the big quote that came out was – I don't have an audio clip of it, but it was reported that – well, not reported, but it was, it was uh, broadcast out onto Twitter what – Chris Mortensen of ESPN said during a broadcast that that the Browns and Baker, they're breaking up regardless of Watson, and they quote-unquote want an adult at quarterback. And I thought this was a funny one because um, 
It's true. I mean, Baker is, he's kind of a baby, you know, whatever. Uh, Aaron Rodgers is a baby. So it's not about the babiness. Uh, that's not really a word. But it's not about the whininess. It's not about the petulance. It's not about the whatever of your quarterback. That matters a lot as far as your football results are concerned. I mean, it makes your life a little bit easier to not have to have Baker sniping at Stefanski's play calling or the fact that Stefanski wasn't, you know, defending the players enough and, and whatever else, not defending him enough and, you know, other sort of sniping that was going on from Baker. Baker writing his letters to the city of Cleveland, even though he's not gone yet, he's already writing this kind of like goodbye letter, which again, he's kind of in his feelings a little bit. He could probably hold back on it, but he couldn't, but you know, that that's who he is. I don't think you can get too mad at for someone for being who they are, you just take that into your assessment. So if Baker was playing well enough, if he was playing as well as Aaron Rodgers plays, it wouldn't matter that he's a big baby. <laughs> you know, it just it just would not matter. And I don't think that is the driving force here. The driving force here is that Baker Mayfield is looking like a at best a neutral move at quarterback for your chances of winning a Super Bowl versus someone who can cover up for deficiencies elsewhere in the roster and can be a driving, motivating force to getting to that Super Bowl. That's what's really happening here. Um, At the same time, I don't know who's leaking this stuff about wanting to be an adult at QB, but not helping. You know, I don't think it's coming from Andrew Barry or Kevin Stefanski, even though they, they, I think they do believe that. Uh, I don't think it's really coming from them because it doesn't help anyone to release these things. The best move from a front office perspective, and again, I, I'm not great about this. I get into little Twitter beefs and other stuff, but then again, I'm not in an NFL front office. But I think the best move in all these circumstances is to say, you got to let it wash over you a little bit. That has to be the move in a lot of different places here. Baker Mayfield is Baker Mayfield. When he says something or he does something out there, take a deep breath, let it wash over you. You know, move forward, work with who you have. Don't, don't waste too much mind space being dissatisfied with something you can't necessarily change while at the same time be potentially looking to upgrade. It's just, you don't need to be to winning the PR battle out with the Chris Mortensons of the world. My assumption is, it's not, like again, it's not Barry, it's not Stefanski saying these things, it's someone else below, and then Mortensen could just say, this is what the Browns think, even though Andrew Barry may be looking at it like, ah, why did you say that? Um, so anyway, so that, that would be my advice to, to, to Browns decision makers there and how they should go for it. So now that the Browns are out of the Deshaun Watkins, the gross Deshaun Watkins sweepstakes, um, they said, this is Mike Garofolo from NFL network reporting here saying that the team still views Baker Mayfield as their as their quarterback going forward they told Mayfield's agents at the combine that they'd only explore top tier quarterbacks such as Watson got a couple problems with this one number one actually the still view him as their quarterback that's fine I, I think there's a better chance than others that Baker Mayfield may be their quarterback you know you all sit down you discuss the fact that Hey, listen, we got you under contract one year, 18 million. We're not, we haven't completely closed the door to re-signing you after this. Although it might be mostly closed. Um, At the same time, we don't have a better option here at quarterback. And we want to win. We have a great team that we're putting around you. We're bringing in Amari Cooper. We may be bringing in another wide receiver in the draft. 
uh, you know, we're, we brought in all these guys in free agency last year. And it behooves you who had Baker Mayfield, who had the best year of his career in Stefanski's first year, a couple seasons ago, it behooves you to come in, to work hard, to get this team to the playoffs, to have the best year of your life. And then if you hit free agency, you're going to get an incredible contract at that point. You're going to be at a, at a top level. You're going to have secured probably a starting job for the next several seasons in the NFL. Let's get together and let's do that as a team, even if we had our conflicts last year. And if you have to swallow some pride as a coach or as a front office person, knowing that Mayfield's going to be Mayfield, go ahead and do that and work to make that happen. Now, maybe the bigger problem I have with this statement is that they're only going to explore top tier quarterback options such as Watson. Number one, don't put that out if it's untrue because you don't want to lie um, or, or a bald face lie. I mean, maybe a little bit of lie like, we view this guy as our starting quarterback. That's fine. That's like in, in a particular scenario, we view him as our starting quarterback, even if you end up moving to, in a different direction. But you don't want to just have a, a indisputable lie by saying you're not going to explore someone else because they should still be exploring other options. I mean, their options are, as I said, swallow your pride, keep Mayfield, get everything together, get your shit together with this team and attack 2022 with a passion to make the playoffs and benefit everyone going forward. So that's your option number one, which I still think is definitely on the table, despite what some people may, other people may think. Number two is you look for an upgrade that may not be a huge upgrade, but in my opinion would still be at least a marginal upgrade with the assumption that you can trade Mayfield for something. So Jimmy Garoppolo is the first thing that comes to mind. People know I'm a Garoppolo truther. He's been a top five efficiency quarterback. He doesn't make it look great from a grading perspective. He makes some ugly throws. Uh, people hate him. Not people hate him, but people are like to jump down his throat when it comes to making some mistakes. But he executes a team and he executes an offense. And I think that he could be very, very interesting in this offense, which has some of the same principles, which really just needs someone to execute quickly. And that was and not take sacks. Uh, with a solid offensive line, have decent gains uh, and move down the field and then use the running game to his advantage. He could be a really, really nice fit there. It's a 25 million-ish sort of contract. You could probably get him for, I don't know, third round pick. I mean, who else is in the market for Jimmy Garoppolo right now? The Colts? The Colts are notoriously stingy. So I don't know if we're going to have to deal with any sort of bidding war there for, for Garoppolo. So I would be I would be for that because then I think you can trade Mayfield maybe for a couple of day two picks. I mean, think about Darnold, right? Darnold going into his fourth season, the Jets got a current six round pick plus a future second and a future fourth for Darnold. Wentz just went for a contingent second round pick, third or second round pick and a third round pick. You should be able to get at least that, I think, for Mayfield, whether it's to Carolina, whether it's to Seattle, whether it's Indianapolis. Now, as the season, you know, as we move for, progress further and further, those options start to whittle down a bit more. Um, and maybe you don't quite have the same market now that Wentz is gone that you would have before Wentz is gone. But I, I think you can you can at least recoup whatever you're going to have to spend to get Jimmy Garoppolo, in my opinion, because there's more hope there with Mayfield. Um, and I'll say a sneaky trade partner for this and uh pft uh mike florio was kind of laughed about saying that he would fit in well with the culture of detroit 
I don't give a shit about the culture of Detroit, but I do give a shit about the fact that John Dorsey, who drafted Baker Mayfield number one overall, who said he watched him, um, you know, months before even coming to the Brown and knew he was going to be the guy who brought in Scott McCullough as a as a McCullough, is that how you pronounce his name? I forget how it is. But anyway, uh, who brought as a consultant who also was like this guy's Brett Favre, two thumbs up, two thumbs up, way up for Baker Mayfield. Um those guys, I mean, Dorsey is very, very high, was very, very high on Mayfield. So Mayfield's success is kind of a referendum on Dorsey. And Dorsey's had a, a pretty strategic role there for the Detroit Lions. They're obviously not sold on Goff. Maybe they would look to flip Goff out someplace else for this. But he loves them. And the Lions, they have the second pick this year, the 32nd pick, which is the Rams pick, the 34th pick or the second pick, which is the second pick of the um, second round. The 66th pick, which again is the second pick of the, or the third pick actually, of the, uh, no, no, sorry, sorry. Second pick of the of the third round. And then they also have a comp pick, the 97th overall pick at the end of the third round. So they got all those picks there. That's some draft capital. Maybe they'll spin out a couple of day two picks for Baker Mayfield. Because they might not want to spend their number two pick on Malik Willis if they're not sold on Malik Willis. If they say to themselves, and then by the time we get to 32, their other pick, you know, who knows what's around there. What sort of quarterback they'd be able to get there. So they may say to themselves, you know what, let's let's bring in Baker Mayfield. 18 million this year. We can franchise him if we like him. Dorsey's completely sold on this guy, presumably. And let's, let's, we already got a pretty decent offensive structure. We brought in DJ Chark. We have TJ Hawkinson. We got Amon Ross St. Brown. We got a decent offensive line. Uh, We're building the defense. Let's use that second pick. Let's use that 32nd pick. Let's use that 34th pick on building the defense and other pieces around this team with Baker Mayfield. And maybe we can jumpstart doing something and competing here in 2022. Cause let's remember Dan Campbell in this front office, this is already year two for them. So if they're not going to draft a quarterback, if they don't like a quarterback at number two, which is pretty rich for the quarterbacks in this particular draft that no one's high on, you know, you don't want to be waiting until 2023 before you're even doing anything. And you don't even know if you're going to be positioned to get a quarterback that you want in 2023. So this might be your opportunity to like grab someone. So it would not surprise me if Mayfield ends up with the Detroit Lions because of that Dorsey connection and how the pieces fit there with the draft capital and wanting to jumpstart their their rebuild. Because in the NFL, you only get really one year to, to, to rebuild and start to move forward. And the Lions, without a quarterback, don't look any necessarily any closer to, to moving forward there. Um, the other guy is Jameis Winston, who I would put into a bucket of potentially being an upgrade over Mayfield. Tougher sell um, to the fan base tougher sell to the ownership probably. But I mean, I think James is good. James has been a above average or better quarterback for a lot of his career. It's just, you got to take the goods with, with the bad. I mean, as far as his grading is not necessarily better than Mayfield, but his EPA performance has been much, much, much better than Mayfield over the course of their career. And even with basically no one to throw it to last year, he's going to throw the ball down the field. He is going to, to push the, an offense forward. So I think he, he's an interesting option. You could get him for cheap. You could get him for cheap. And then maybe a couple of years, like Trubisky-ish, 
maybe Trubisky a little bit higher than what you had to pay Trubisky, lock in a second year for for kind of cheap that you can you can drive that benefit on uh, because he's already been he's already been tagged once, so you'd, you'd already be on the second tag, so you lose some leverage there. But he's another guy, and you don't have to give up any trade compensation. So netting out if you send Mayfield out or you keep Mayfield in that circumstance, you have a good call there for Winston. Now, I like both of those. Mariota is a little bit too much of a risk for me. If you wanted to bring in Mariota to compete with Mayfield, I think that's interesting. They have not cut Case Keenum yet. So that indicates to me that they are, they're using Keenum as kind of their insurance slash potential backup to whoever else they'll bring in, not necessarily looking to bring in someone else as a backup to Baker Mayfield. So Mariota for me is a little bit more questionable. If things turn sideways, you're in trouble as a front office and a coaching staff. If things don't go well with Mariota, who had uh, who flamed out in Tennessee and has looked a little bit questionable, even even though he was good in some relief work for um, the Raiders, you know he still made some, a couple of head scratching plays and injury concerns are with him. And then of course there's drafting a quarterback at 13. That's something that's probably not being talked about enough. Is that they're in position to get someone good? I like I love Matt Corral, and I think he's going to be around at thirteen. I would love to bring in someone like Matt Corral if I were the the Browns. I think he's ready to play from week one. I think he has the athleticism that's been missing from Baker Mayfield, and I think he makes a lot of quick good decisions. It's a quick good decision maker. Doesn't take sacks, things like that. That Baker Mayfield has had a lot of problems. Play pretty well under pressure. Another thing that Baker Mayfield has had problems with. So that's the layout for, for, for the Browns. Um, I would always be looking to move on from Mayfield, but then also you, you just have to like never close any doors, never close any doors, whether it's locking in Mayfield or closing the door to a certain type of quarterback, be ready to potentially do anything there uh, with the Browns. And then maybe there'll be another quarterback carousel sort of thing to happen. And we will find out that going forward. Okay, before we get to free agency, let's talk All-22. Our friends at All-22 are unveiling the newest fantasy football game that hundreds of PFF employees have been playing. All-22 uses weekly PFF grades as one of its main roster scoring components and test your ability to build a full 53-man roster, offensive line included. If you've ever dreamt of sitting in an NFL front office, if you enjoy the scouting process, you'll want to check out All-22. Join the waitlist at all22-com. Sorry, Dashcom, all22.com with nothing more than your email. If you join the waitlist before the NFL draft, you'll receive a special promo code for your All22 subscription. Waitlist users will even gain access to premium content like inaugural draft guides, in-season strategies, future release announcements, and more. Be sure to follow All22 underscore PFF on Twitter. All22 premium fantasy football powered by PFF. And let's talk DraftKings. Hoops fans, the latest offer from DraftKings, an official sports betting partner of the NBA is too good to pass up. Just bet $1 on any team and get $150 in free bets. If they win, it's that simple. If the sportsbook is not available in your state, huge cash prizes available with daily fantasy basketball contests. All new customers get a free shot and millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF. Bet just $1 on any NBA team and get $150 in free bets if they win. That's promo code PFF at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. 21 or over, minimum age and location requirements vary by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for a full list of requirements and state-specific responsible gaming resources. Gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, let's go ahead and knock out Manscaped here. Can I get a round of applause for Manscaped? I should have got a sound drop here for applause. Today, I'm excited to announce Manscaped launched their ultra-premium collection. Believe it or not, it's a favorite for your not-so-private parts. I'm talking about leveled-up hygiene routine for your with your favorite 
manly scent. This is an all-in-one skincare and hair care kit for the everyday man and covers you from head to toe, literally. Manscaped is trusted below the waist. Now trust them with the rest. Join 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by going to manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping with code PFF. Get 20% off and free shipping with code PFF at manscaped.com. That's 20% off free shipping with code PFF at manscaped.com. The power of attraction is now in a bottle. Thanks to Manscaped. Okay, so free agency. I'm going to hit this a little bit different. I'm going to try to lean into the name of the podcast here, the stick to sports, not stick to, stick to sports, sorry, the um, unexpected points, right? And not just say, okay, here are my f- top five value free agents. Here are the top five worst signings. Here are the top five teams that benefited. You can get all that crap on pff.com. You can look at the improvement index. You can see that, guess what? Quarterbacks are really valuable. Never would have suspected that. But I want to go more higher level on like lessons that you need to know, way to judge free agency. It might be a little bit pedantic, as I say, but I want to like figure like these, these higher macro issues are really important because then you're going to know how to parse through the micro nonsense. So this is a little bit of like lessons going into free agency. Maybe I'm even going to kick it back to one of my themes from last year, a little bit like another back to school segment. Not sure if that came through correctly. It sounded a little bit, a little bit slow. That was a clip from RIP Ronnie Dangerfield in his 1980 something classic back to school. So high level discussion here on free agency. Free agency is the the path of mostly the worst franchises in the NFL. I mean, if you look at my improvement index, the Jaguars are up at second now because they've just been piling money into free agency. So there is a bit of negative incentive going on here. It's what they call adverse selection. If you think about adverse selection in terms of like like applications for adverse selection. Insurance is an adverse selection thing. Like you're more likely to get insurance or to pay more, let's say, for your company plan to get enhanced benefits, maybe to get more life insurance or something like that. If you have, if you're taking bad care of yourself or you know you have health problems or something like that. So insurance companies have to build that in to their pricing is to know that they're more likely to get unhealthy clients than healthy clients because they're providing a pooled network of benefits that everyone's going to pay a certain amount into and get uh, uh, maybe a higher proportion of, of the benefit out of that. So the adverse selection in free agency is you're bidding on players who they're, they're, those teams have already decided they didn't want them. And it's not that they don't want them at any cost, but they don't want them at whatever the market will bear. Likely, they don't want them at whatever the market will bear because that player is choosing to go out into the market rather than re-sign a smaller deal with their own team. And because of that, you are bidding on players in free agency who probably do not have hidden benefits that you don't know about, but may have hidden costs, whether it be how they act in the locker room, whether it be how they are as teammates, whether it be their work habits, um, 
because if you're strictly looking at the stat sheet, the value sheet, you know, our war number, something like that, you might get fooled into thinking that player X is worth just as much as player Y, who was re-upped by his own team. But then because of this adverse selection effect, you're not going to know about these hidden costs that these other teams do know about. And then they sent them out into free agency because of that. So that's number one, why free agency is difficult for for teams. Um, Number two is there's kind of a diminishing return on players once you get above about $10 million a year in annual contract. Uh, Fellow data scientist at PFF, Timo Riske, does some of the best research out there. He's done some research on free agency recently, and that seems to be an inflection point where if you look at you know, the curve for war gained, wins gained, if you want to say, by dollar, it goes up in a steep manner between about zero and 10 APY, annual uh, per year salary, and then it trails off. It gets, it, 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 it's, it's not nearly as steep continuing to go forward. Now you have outliers where you, they vastly pay off on, on those contracts there, but there are more bus which end up dragging down that that calculation so again the teams that have the most money to spend are going to be more likely to spend on the most expensive players are the most likely to need top tier talent not just filling in the roster talent and because of that they're going to outbid for them and again if you're going after these top top tier players and they're not being re-signed by their own team those are probably really the adverse selection type of guys um any top tip top tier player who's viewed that way, whose own team doesn't want, especially when you can figure out all these ways of restructuring around the cap, are probably have the most downside bust risk. The second part of it is the more money you spend, the longer it takes to recoup even a successful investment in a player. If you don't spend that much on a player and they knock it out the park in year one, and let's face it, free agents, most of their values in year one, some still have value in year two. Fewer and fewer adding or adding real value to their teams or stick on their teams beyond two years. Pretty few in there. So you can recoup a smaller investment for a player who comes in and plays like a like a star um, if you didn't spend that much on them in the first place. Whereas if you spent a lot in free agency, a player who plays like a star is only going to be you a bit of a marginal benefit there. So things are skewed towards not spending as much, which, again, it's going to be more the teams that have talent already that they've that they've surrounded through the draft. Another way free agency is this negative feedback loop into teams is the compensatory pick formula. So for those who don't know how it works, I mean, I mentioned it quickly when you lose a player in free agency. So you have a free agent from your team plays out their entire contract. These are not guys who are cut or guys who are signed who were cut. That's why guys who were cut, who were signed, are kind of attractive. And you'll see teams do that. You'll see teams go ahead and, and pick out guys who are, who are cut, who, who are really into uh, their compensatory picks. So, but guys who play out their entire contract, they hit free agency. If it's a, if a player that used to be on your team, played their last contract out on your team, they're signed somewhere else. If they're one of the top, top, top players who are signed at, let's say, 15 million or more a year, you get a third round comp pick. If it's more in the 10 range, maybe you get a fourth round comp pick. You know, if it's lower, then you can get a fifth round comp pick. If it's even lower, then you get a sixth round comp pick. But you are netting out the players that you're signing versus the players who are on your team who are being signed elsewhere. So the more players you're signing in free agency, 
the more you are mitigating the benefits that you're going to get from your players who are signing somewhere else. So different teams, it's kind of like the rich get richer a bit here. You draft well, your players leave, they hit free agency, they make a lot of money, you get a comp pick, which gives you more chances to draft well, to have more players eventually enter free agency, to get more comp picks, to draft better, and so on and so forth and so forth. I mean, think about this. Over the last 11, this is the 11th straight year that the Jacksonville Jaguars have not had, not earned a compensatory pick. Some of that is because they have not drafted well. A lot of that is because they've not drafted quite well enough to overcompensate for the fact that they're in the free agent market every single year, making noise and wiping out and mitigating out all of that benefit that they would get from their own free agents going somewhere else. 11th straight year, zero comp picks. Uh, On the flip side of the equation, the Baltimore Ravens have somewhere in the neighborhood of 40 comp picks over the same time period. So if you're getting an extra three, four, five draft picks on an annual basis, even if we're talking about late third, late fourth, late fifth round draft picks, you get so many shots for minimal, minimal cost. If these guys, and if they pay off, then you have extremely valuable asset while they're first there. And then again, they become another valuable asset when they leave and get you a comp pick back. So that that, that feeds back, feeds back, feeds back as par, as part of it. Um, keeping the rich richer and keeping teams that can't show restraint in free agency for even one season because they need to continually fill in the roster uh, are never able to take advantage of that, the positive feedback loop, and instead have the negative uh, feedback loop. Okay, and the other thing that I'll mention about free agency is when we're having discussion on Great free agent pickups versus poor free agent pickups. It's very similar to the discussion that we had on this program and was proven again by Timo as one of his research pieces last year about the difference between steals and reaches in the draft. It's a very similar phenomenon where the story goes that it's much more likely to overpay, to reach. You can be much more confident that a reach is a reach in the draft than a a draft steal is a steal. Same way in free agency. I think you'd be more confident an overpay is an overpay, calling Christian Kirk, uh, Zay Jones for the Jaguars. You'd be more confident in that than you can that someone is a steal, especially if it's a big contract. If it's a smaller contract, if there are reasons for certain players wanting to go for certain teams, those sorts of things, yeah, yeah. But if they're like a big name uh, free agent who goes for big money or even middle, even like mid-range money, let's not be so confident that they are actually a steal. And the reasoning is that you only need one team to make a mistake to overvalue. You only need one team to overvalue a player to have a reach in the NFL draft. You only need one team to overvalue a player to overpay them in free agency. I mean, perhaps if you have a great window into exactly how much a player is being offered from other teams, you're not going to ever have a gross overpay, but you don't really know that. This is not, you know, the information is not all out in the public. Sure, you can try to figure out from the agent, but the agent is not going to tell you if you're overpaying 2x times whatever their closest offer is. They're trying to bluff you into doing exactly that. 
So it's more likely that that will happen than it is that the amount that you're paying was not, was improperly missed and not matched by every other NFL team or eat, or the handful of NFL teams who needed a player at that position. Cause there's always gonna be a handful of NFL teams that need a player at any given position in any off season, much less likely that's going to happen. You're going to need multiple teams to all have misvalued. And then you're going to sneak in and grab that. So you're going to get incremental small benefits off of making good moves but you can lose huge chunks by making bad moves. So I would always be more disappointed by what you're looking at as a bad signing in free agencies and obviously bad signing in free agency than getting excited about another particular signing in free agency. Okay, and this might be the last point that I go over here for free agency because, again, I'm not going to get into the individual players and this and that. Maybe I'll do that next week when I'll compile some, some numbers and actually have some some real research uh, ready for you guys. But the last thing that I want to mention here about free agency and how to think about it is that, you know, we talked about is like a high level discussion of how impactful these signings actually are. And again, I don't want to get into the specifics of little debate that may have gone on in the not so recent past about how much value players are actually adding or aren't adding, but it's incremental for most of these players who are not quarterbacks. None of these players who are being added into free agency, by my numbers, you would project to add even half a win if they are not a quarterback. And the reason is that even in a play, even in a best non-quarterback season, by our numbers, you're maybe worth a win if you have the best quarterback non-season, non-quarterback season, excuse me. And so backwards looking, you might be able to get, say, player X is worth a win or maybe even a little bit more than a win if they have a really, really great season, maybe even as much as two wins if they have a really, really great season. But those are outliers. Those are like generational type of seasons when we're getting up to something like two wins. So the ability to project that going forward, especially project that amongst players who are allowed to hit free agency, extremely difficult at, for non-quarterbacks. So if you're seeing values out there that are like, oh, so-and-so would add a win, do not buy it. Do not buy it at all. It doesn't make any sense because think about like perspective ways that players can affect real markets that we can measure. Let's think about a proxy that we can get for wins. And a good proxy for wins is point differential. And if you look at, you know, throughout, if you look at throughout NFL history, if you take the end season point differentials for teams, you take how many wins they are above or below 500, so below, above or below an average team, what happens is your regression will tell you, if you run just a simple linear regression on that, it'll tell you that anywhere from 30 to 35 points, somewhere in that range, is how much in point differential for each win. That sounds like a lot, but we're talking about over the course of a season, you know, a teams that are eight, nine and eight on average, you would assume 
nine and eight in our new format here. On average, you would assume that those teams are that's only half a win, I guess, above above five hundred. Anyway, regardless, teams that are nine and eight would be, I guess, you cut that in half. Then, so teams that are nine and eight would be anywhere from you know fifteen to seventeen positive point differential over the course of the season. So not a lot. It's only one extra point per game, right? So it's not a whole lot of a big deal to be nine and eight versus uh, eight and a half and eight and a half, I guess, in our new weird 17 game format. And so on the other direction, flipping back the other direction. So prospectively, if a player was worth one win over the course of a season, and let's, let's make this easier on ourselves. And let's assume that a player plays on average 16 out of the 17 games. They, they miss a game on average. So let's get back into the 16-game realm where we can do math a little bit easier here. So if we assume a player is worth one win over the season, again, you're going to be in that 30 to 35 points is how much that player is worth. So offensively, the offense over the course of the season is going to score somewhere between 30 and 35 points more than they would have. Defensively, that defense is going to hold down their opponent by anywhere from 30 to 35 points. So if that player, if you think about it in a point spread sort of manner, in a single game manner, well, it's pretty easy. Let's take the 30 to 35 points and let's divide it by 16. So it comes out to roughly two points per game. So if a player was worth one win, prospectively is worth one win. Again, we're not looking back at what happened and just picking out the outliers. We're looking forward to make our best projections. If a player is worth one win, if you, you say this is a one win player, if if the the news comes out that they're missing, they're injured, they're out in a particular game, the point spread should move about two points. How often do we ever see that happening for a non-quarterback? Never. We never see that happening for a non-quarterback. Never are players, can you prospectively say that they are one-win type of players over the rest of the players who are on their team, maybe over replacement level players who are the worst of the worst guys you'd have to you know bring in off of practice squads, but there are other ways to fill in around it. Now, sometimes you can have clusters of injuries and you can get up to one or two points between a few players who are missing, who are non quarterbacks. And that can happen. And there can be add on effects, but for a singular player, you're just never, you're rarely even getting to one point, which again would be half a win in that circumstance, prospectively. Someone would be worth. Whereas for a quarterback, the most we've seen are seven, eight points-ish, which is when, um, at least recently that we've seen, is when Aaron Rodgers missed time in 2017, and then Brent Hundley came in. It, the line moved by seven and a half, eight points. So again, just using that little formula in our head, that would mean, uh, you know, three and three and three quarters or four wins is what Aaron Rodgers would be worth in a season. And it, that sounds about right. And that just shows you like the dramatic effect. No player really, no non-quarterback is you could hardly even say they're worth half a win prospectively. A quarterback like Aaron Rodgers is worth four wins. So it's 8x what, what another non-quarterback would be. So again, don't get too excited or too up or down based upon these particular signings and how big of an impact do you think this is going to make. These are going to make incremental differences, but incremental differences are important. Once you start to get to three, four, five players who can add you anywhere from a 10th to a fifth of a win, maybe even a quarter of a win if they're really, really good. It doesn't sound exciting, but that's what we're talking about. Once you start adding those, there are big differences between, I'll flip back to 17-game season here, there are big differences between ending up a 10-7 and team or ending up a 7-10 and team. That is a playoff team that's likely contending and you know can make it all the way to the Super Bowl, potentially, versus a team who misses the playoffs and could be in chaos if they are a team that was supposed to be better. 
And you can get that differential by getting a little bit of enhanced play and then also maybe accumulating about a win through many different good signings and good draft picks. But it's small accumulations that are going to make the difference prospectively. And then you have luck that's moving it around a lot around that number going forward. But don't get too don't get too high or don't get too low on that. That would be my other thing for free agency is to have a proper perspective on wins. No one is turning, no one signing, whether it is Khalil Mack or Vaughn Miller or JC Jackson or whoever is going to turn your team from nine and seven to I'm sorry, not nine and seven, it's nine and eight to from you know nine and eight to eleven and six. Just not going to happen in and of itself. Building everything correctly can can raise that baseline. And then you need a little bit of luck on the back end. Okay, those are my uh, rubrics, my heuristics, my you know back-to-school uh, segment here about how to think about free agency. Keep that in mind as you're digesting everything over the weekend. I will come back at you early next week. We'll have definitive news on Deshaun Watson. We'll have a lot more speculation with maybe what may be going on with the quarterback market. And we're going to have to get into some draft talk. It's going to be draft, hashtag S. ZN draft season coming forward. Please join me for all of that and more on unexpected points. Otherwise, I'll be talking at everyone then. 